This is week six of our series, Hello, My Name is God. Diving in and understanding the deeper meanings, deeper names of God, to hopefully as we understand Him, we grow in Him. The last verse in the final chapter of the book of Ezekiel has these words, and the name of the city from that time on will be Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. To fully understand and appreciate that statement, you've got to understand the context of what was going on and what was taking place at that time. Ezekiel was one of God's prophets. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah and Daniel, very similar time. They weren't buds that hung out or anything, but they were still prophesying during the same time span. He declared the word of the Lord during a time when the nation of Israel had been totally devastated and destroyed. The children of Israel had been captured and taken into slavery by the Babylonians, and the city of Jerusalem had been seized, and the temple had been utterly destroyed, ruined. The people were physically, emotionally, and spiritually flat out exhausted. They were ready to throw in the towel. The days leading up to all this had been marked by sin and by, marked by rebellion against God. And God uses Ezekiel to deliver a very sobering message of judgment to the nation of Israel. Dr. John MacArthur says at least 17 kinds of sin appear in this indictment of Jerusalem's blood guiltness and more in verses 25 through 29. The only restraint on their evil was their ability. They did all the, all the evil they could and shedding blood seemed to be the most popular. Not only did they shed blood, but they also participated in illicit idolatry, dishonored their elders, despised holy things, profaned the Sabbath, exploited the poor, ignored the orphans and the widows, oppressed foreigners, practiced all forms of sexual immorality, including incest, took bribes and took lives of the children. Their leaders, both political and spiritual, did absolutely nothing to stop this. In fact, they led against, in the rebellion against God. Do the times sound familiar? Doesn't seem like things have changed a whole lot. God is a holy God and will not tolerate unholiness. And Ezekiel is told, carry this message to the people of Israel. That it not only must be punished, but that it it will be punished. That they're living in unholy ways and basically turning their back on God and saying, God, we will live life according to the way we want to live life. We will do things the way we want to do things. Ezekiel 22 says, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their leaders Upon their heads declares the Lord. I've heard, turn my, my way, my, my heads upon, upon them declares the Lord. That, that Ezekiel says, I'm looking for a holy, righteous person to step up and lead. And I can't find one. Psalm 30, 137 was written by an unknown author about his experience in this time and gives us an unforgettable picture of what was going on. Look at the text with me in Psalm 137 to help further understand the struggle that they were dealing with. It says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. That's Jerusalem 
their homeland where the temple dwelled and where the temple of God was. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. The poplars are the, the trees and putting up their musical instruments. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. The psalmist is saying, if I forget about God and all He's done, may my right hand, the hand that plays the harp, forget its skill. May I, may, may, may I not be able to play a song until the Lord. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. In other words, may I not be even able to sing your praises if I forget what the Lord has done while I'm in the middle of this turmoil and being enslaved. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy, remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations." O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. I mean, they hung their harps. Some translations say lyres. That's a harp on the trees and refused to sing the songs of Zion of Jerusalem amongst their captors. Not because they had forgotten how to play their harps or sing, but because they had nothing to sing about. They weren't singing because they're like, we're in this turmoil, we're in this horrible situation. There's nothing to be praised of God. Look at verse 6. It says, the psalmist made this statement, may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Here was a musician who had lost his song, who had lost the joy to sing and the excitement to say, I want to give praise to God. The Israelites had lost their song because they lost their freedom and they're away from their homeland. They were depressed and they were discouraged and they were away from God. You know why? It was all tied back to their sin and their rebellion. They wondered, where is God? They ask questions like, does he care anymore? What will happen to us? What will happen to Jerusalem? Is this the end? And Ezekiel, looking down the corridor of prophetic history, picks up his pen and solves the controversy in verse 35 when he says, there is a city in the name of the city. From that time on will be Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. And in the midst of their distress, he's trying to bring them hope to say, there is a place where God dwells. He is there. And it's a city that he wanted to direct them towards. One commentator said Ezekiel had a strange vision. A land without inhabitants, a city without citizens, a temple without priests, a ritual without worshipers. In his God-given visions, Ezekiel saw the glory of the God and recorded its departure from the tabernacle because of Israel's idolatry and iniquity. He saw judgment upon Jerusalem and the setting up of the prince and the second David as the channel of Israel's future blessing. The judgments upon Gog and Magog, the setting up of an ideal city with the restoration of the temple in it. The name of this ideal commonwealth or kingdom is to be known as Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there, so called because of the manifest presence of the power of Jehovah therein. The message of Ezekiel to the Israelites was, take your harps off the willow trees and sing a new song. Take down the the, the instruments because there is a city whose builder, is maker, is God, and the presence of God is there. Ezekiel was saying God is real, 
Ezekiel is saying the city is real, the presence of God is real, you're not forsaken, your burdens are not bigger than your God. So get your instruments out again and get your mouths open and begin to praise because he wants to show you that he is there. He's trying to tell him, rejoice and sing a, a new song because the Lord still has power in heaven and on earth and when you need him, he's there. He was trying to walk them through the turmoil of sin and rebellion walk them through the turmoil of turning their back and not honoring God to say God's not turned his back on you and you can look up to the heavens and you can sing a new song and you open your mouth of praise. What about right now? What about in the year 2016? Ezekiel was pointing forward and said there's a city being built and God is there. Where is God right now in 2016? Is that a question you ever wonder about? Do you ever stop and think, in the midst of all the turmoil and all the strife and all the things going on in our news media and the things that you hear about, do you ever stop and just kind of wonder, where is God in all of this? Let me answer that for you. The little boy came to the birthday party for Jesus. He came to the doors, looked around and said, where is he? At the birthday, where is he? What, where's God at? And I think that's a question a lot of us are wondering about in our society. I want you to know that he's there, he's here, and he's everywhere. If you get nothing out of this message, get that, that God is there, God is here, and God is everywhere. And he knows what's going on in our society, he knows what's going on in your life, and he knows that we need him. The Bible describes at least four ways that Jehovah Shema is present. I encourage you to fill out your note guide here and, and consider these today. Jehovah Shema is Jesus. He's present because He is Jesus. John 1.14, we read that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. In other words, God became flesh, made His dwelling among us in the body of Jesus. The word dwelling can actually be translated as tabernacled or templed among us. In other words, there's no longer a place that we have to go to. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to the temple that had since been destroyed to meet God because now in Jesus, He is here. In John 2, Jesus referred to himself as the temple of God. In fact, this is the comment that enrages enemies so much that they brought it up in his trial. In Matthew 26, at his trial, they were charged and they said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. They said that's what Jesus was claiming. And that was a charge they brought against him because God's presence is no longer restricted to a place but was fully evident in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. That's why he was referred to as Emmanuel in Matthew chapter 1, fulfilling the prophecy that says God is with us. He's here in Jesus. Colossians 1.19 states, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God was pleased to have all his fullness. Jehovah Shema is in Jesus. Jehovah Shema dwells in believers. When Jesus declared that he was the dwelling place of God, the people were blown away. I mean, for Jesus to say, listen, God is in me. I am God. The people were blown away. But this truth, I think, is equally profound. Those who are born again, you've accepted the message of Jesus. You believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and you say, I'm a follower of His. Then Scripture tells us that we are temples where God dwells. you got to stop and wrestle with that for a moment. That's why we can say He's here. The idea of 1 Corinthians 3.16 is don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? In you. 
Church, God lives inside of us. God displays His beauty and His glory through believers. And as such, we must treat our bodies carefully and make sure we're dedicated to His purposes. That's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, listen, God is not some far-off place. And, and since God has, has given us Jesus and through His Spirit living inside of us, Paul warns the church in Corinth with these words. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And it was about a physical thing, but it was more about a spiritual thing, saying honor God in the way you live your life. See, the way that we live our lives should declare to the world that Jehovah Shema is present with us. That was a struggle that the psalmist writer was having, like, can I sing a song? Can I give a word of praise anymore? Ezekiel was trying to encourage him, saying, listen, Still keep your hope in God. Or to say it another way, the world will learn about God based upon the way we are living. The world will learn about God based upon the way we are living. That's a weighty responsibility for us as Christians, and it's a holy charge from God to say, I dwell inside of you, Jehovah Shema. Jehovah Shema also is displayed in the church. See, not only individually, but we as a body, when the church comes together. In his book, The Church God Blesses, Jim Cimbala writes and says, even though individual lives are being changed by the power of the gospel, God's special concern is always focused on local churches that spread his gospel and disciple new converts. Jesus himself wrote seven letters to different congregations in Revelations chapter 2 and 3 and was seen walking among them. He has chosen to work here on earth through his church. People will know Jehovah Shema by the way his local churches behave and they live out the gospel. Symbolo goes on and says, we are his temple individually as believers and the collective church is also his dwelling place. God is here. We must protect God's presence and make sure His glory is on display. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God and As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they'll be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. The church is supposed to be different than this world is what Paul is calling us to. The church is supposed to look different, behave different, interact differently. People should be able to look at the people of God and the church of God and say there's something different about them because we're separated from the world that we live in. There's a popular song a few years ago came out by Casting Crowns that said, but if we are the body, why aren't his arms reaching? And why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? If we are the body, why aren't his feet going? Why is his love not showing them there is a way? The call there in the song was, the body should be different. The body should show people, where is God? Where is Jehovah Shema? They see them in our hands and see them in our feet, see them in our testimony, see them in the way we live our lives. When we, the church, truly live out being the church that God calls us to, they'll know Jehovah Shema. They'll know who God is. Fourthly, Jehovah Shema is preparing a place for us. And Ezekiel talks about that. See, when Jesus announced to the disciples that he was leaving them, He told them he was getting a place ready for them. John 14, 3 says, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. There is a time coming when we will be in his presence. And John 17, 24 says, we will behold his glory. 
exactly what Ezekiel was talking about, is that there's some walls being built, and there's a place being developed, and here comes Jesus and says, yes, that's being developed too. I'm going to go, but I'm coming back. And Ezekiel's prophecy will ultimately be fulfilled when the new Jerusalem is fulfilled and redeemed. The scene is actually breathtaking. I wish I could put a picture to it. It's described in Revelation 21, it says, John was writing this word in, in Revelation. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with, with them and be their God. Making a beautiful picture there, and John's trying to put a, a word picture to what's going to happen that will dwell with God. And to see the ultimate fulfillment of Jehovah Shema is described at the end of this chapter in verses 22 and 23. It says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives light and the Lamb is its lamp. The lamb is referring to God that his brightness, his glory will shine so bright and we will be in his presence at that time. I think it's a beautiful picture to think, you know what, that hope and that future is to come. Church, we are to realize that God lives in us and dwells in us. We've got to realize that, that Jesus brought Jehovah Shema to us, that we don't have to go to a, a specific place. He's here amongst us. We've got to realize Jehovah Shema is displayed in the church and it's our responsibility to prepare in a place. And so when you look at that text and you consider it and you think about it, you've got to ask yourself, well, what does that mean for me today? What are some action steps I should take? I think there's some action steps that we must take on earth to help this world know that Jehovah Shema is there, is here, and is everywhere. One is this, I think you choose to trust Him. And I specifically use the word choose. Because it is specifically a choice to choose to trust Him with your life. To say, I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That I believe in the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus. But also it's a choice to daily to choose to trust, to say, I may not totally understand what's happened by trust. It's one thing to profess that God is always present. It's another thing to really believe it, especially when we go through tough times. And we are in some tough times right now. And church, if you've read your scriptures and you know the Bible, you know that times are going to get more tough. They're going to get harder. We had a discussion yesterday on work day with a few of us just about the political scope of where we're at. And if you read the scriptures, you know that times are going to get harder, church. It's not going to get easier. And so we have to choose daily to put our trust in Jesus. In the 16th century, a man named John of the Cross wrote extensively about what he called the dark nights of the soul. If you've not experienced that yet, chances are you will at some point in your life. In the Psalms, David described times of despair. Psalm 10, he said, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? David was asking those why questions that sometimes maybe you've asked or maybe you're even asking now. In Psalm 69, he said, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling for help. Help, my throat is parched, my eyes fail, looking for my God. David was going through one of those dark times, dark nights of the soul. 
And maybe you're in that kind of struggle. In an issue of Discipleship Journal, Tom Eisenman points out that God has a three-pronged painful process for us to go through when the nights are dark and God's, God does some divine de- demolition in our lives. He says step one is pruning, John 15, 2. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. And pruning never feels good. Yesterday we were out here trimming some trees. Yes, it helps the trees look good, but it puts some pain on the tree so they will be more healthy. You might be going through a pruning process. You might be going through some darkness or some pain. There could be some pruning taking place in your life because God is shaping you more for His purposes and for His kingdom and for His glory. Step two, Eisman says, was refining. Another process that is through fire. Isaiah 48.10 says, See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Sometimes we go through things that are hot. We go through things that are going to be difficult and challenging. It's a refining process. And then thirdly, he says shaking. Just as remove the rebellion from the Israelites through their captivity, so too God uses stressful situations and circumstances to help us see what is most important. Hebrews 12, 27 says the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. We go through a process of difficulty, shaking off all the junk of the world, shaking off the things that are not of God, so that what remains is what is of God. And that's the goal that Christ wants in us, that we are pruned, that we are refined, that we shake off the junk. So when you go through problems, remember that God is present with you and claim the promises of those who have claimed promises before us. Like Zephaniah, who said, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Take someone else's writings like Zephaniah and say, Lord, I want to capture that. Or like Isaiah, who teaches us that whatever we go through, that God is with us. He said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames that will not set you ablaze. Eisman concludes by suggesting some ways we can cooperate with God during these times, during these difficult times, during what he calls, uh, or others have called, dark night of the soul. He says, one, is honestly express your emotions to God. That it's okay to say, God, here's what I'm feeling, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm going through. Two, he says, fight the temptation or run away from your distress. Sometimes that's a challenge we have. Oh, some difficult, I'm going to run. Instead of staying in a game, and Eisman says, stay in the game and, and, and fight the temptation. Resist trying harder. Sometimes we think life is difficult and it's hard. I've got to try harder, got to try harder. No, sometimes we need to rest more in God's hand. This is what Eisman was pointing to. Seek companions. In other words, don't walk through difficult times by yourself. Tell your small group. Tell a prayer partner. Tell a friend. Tell a spouse. Let someone else know, this is what I'm walking in. This is my struggle. Release your expectations. Sometimes we have expectations that things have to go this way and this way and this way be right. And Eisman says, listen, when you're going through hard, difficult times and you're trusting in Jehovah Shema, that he's there, that he's here with you, that he's everywhere, sometimes we just have to say, God, I have no expectation. I just put my hands in into your hand. It says, be patient. Be patient. Wait, sometimes we want things now. Sometimes with God, it's not like fast food that we live in, the fast food society we live in. We're so used to things being so instant. Sometimes God takes his time because he's teaching us and growing us. And lastly, he says, call to mind God's faithfulness. 
Call to mind how God has been faithful. Look in the Scripture. Look in your life and look before how's God been faithful in your life and trust that He'll be faithful again. I like what Charles Spurgeon once said. He said, whatever your difficulties and your trials and sorrows, all is well with you if God is your delight and His presence is your joy. Sometimes it's just sitting back and saying, God, I delight in you. I trust you. You're my joy. I don't understand all of it. I put it in your hands. The name Jehovah Shema is a reminder that in our darkest hour, God is with us. When you feel abandoned, when you feel afraid, when you feel worried, address Him as Jehovah Shema. God, Jehovah Shema, I know you're with me. See me through what I'm walking through. Second application is live for the Lord right now. Live for the Lord right now. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you are now in the place where God dwells. You are His temple. Therefore, be clean. It's time to come out and be separate. It's time to live separated from this world. Brian Head Welch, many of you know that name, was a founding member of the once popular hardcore heavy metal band called Korn. Their lyrics focused on hatred, focused on homicide, hopelessness. Their style was aggressive and it was emphasis was being on immoral Brian Head Welch is a lead singer, came to Jesus, and one reviewer could not believe he'd come to Jesus because their language was so harsh and venomous and, and full of rage. And according to the group's management, Brian Welch, he said, has chosen Jesus Christ as his Savior and will be dedicating his musical pursuits to that end. And that's what the manager said when Brian Head Welch wrote them a letter and said, I no longer can participate in this band. And they asked the question why, and Brian Welch apparently in that letter said, detailed a long list of reasons of leaving the band, including increased moral objections to Korn's music and videos. See, what had happened as he met Jesus and he realized the life of Jesus in this world and the life of this world, they don't go together. He realized, when I met Jesus, I've got to live for him. And so he started changing his style of music and changing his lyric and changing who he participated because he wanted to live for the Lord right now. He knew his lifestyle did not align with the lifestyle of Christ. Let me ask you, what about you today? What about you? If you're in Christ, you are to live for the Lord right now. Jehovah Shema is part of you. He is with you. What is in your life that God's telling you right now today? You know what? That shouldn't be part of my life. I should let go of that. I should get rid of it. I need to move on past it because the Lord is with me and the Lord wants nothing of that to be part of my life. What does He ask you to drop? Are you compromising on your commitment to Christ? What is it time to get rid of and say, Jehovah Shema, I want you to shine through me. There's one third application for you today. Don't fear the future. Don't fear what's next. See, while most of us live in the present, some of us are fearful of the future and others of us are trapped by our past. We have to let go of our past and say, Lord, I give all that to you, but then as you think about your future, let go to say, I'm thankful that God is an ever-present help for trouble for today, and I'm also glad that Jehovah Shema has covered our future. In the article called The God of My Future Problems, the author begins by defining God's previent grace. This literally means the grace that goes before. In every situation of life, God is already at work before I or you even get there, he's, he is working creatively, strategically, redemptively for my good and His glory in order to accomplish His purposes. 
See, we get so worried about the future. See, while I'm struggling with the problems of today, God is at work providing solutions for the things of tomorrow. And sometimes we need to stop and just live for today and say, God has it all in control for tomorrow. He's working in situations right now that I haven't even faced. He's preparing them for me and me for them. Do you trust Him enough for that, that you don't fear the future? Or, or say it another way, while I'm living in Sunday, He's already working on Tuesday. Or while I'm living in this week, He's already working on, on next week. Are you worried about next week? I'll I tell you what I think the Lord wants you to hear. Are you worried about what tomorrow brings? I think the Lord wants you to hear, it's time just to chill out. It's time to relax. It's time to let go. It's time to quit trying to be control freak and be on top of everything and say, you know what? God's got it all under control. Because he's Jehovah Shema. What about next year? What about the year after? Oh, those kids are going to go for college and you're freaking out going, how are we going to pay for it? Don't worry about all that stuff. Jehovah Shema is here and he's saying, just live today and let me take care of what's coming next. Since God is already in the future, you can trust him and put your hope in him for tomorrow, even if trials do come your way. And I promise they will. I promise they will. We live in a world that is falling apart. You may today be walking through a great time and a great spot of life, but trials will come. Or you may be in the midst of a trial. What God wants us to know is trust Him for today. It would be enough if God simply walked with us, amongst us in the events of life, but He does much more than that. He goes ahead of us. He clears the way. He's the pioneer guiding the way for us. We have some promises about the presence of God. That are in Scripture. Claim these as your own. Claim these as your own. Write down these verse references. Claim these as your own. And call to Jehovah Shema in prayer. Habakkuk 2.4 says, Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. That can be a verse that you can grab onto and you can declare that in prayer. Lord, help me to be strong. Lord, help me to be strong in in this because you are on my side and you're working with me. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Lord, thank you for that promise. You can grab on that verse. Lord, thank you for that promise that what I'm walking through right now, you're by my side. What I'm walking through right now, you are here. You've not left me, you've not forsaken me. Or Matthew 28, 20 says, And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Another promise that, that the Lord is here. See, when you feel alone, you have to hold on to the belief and the truth that God is there, that He is here, and that He is everywhere. When your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you, or when your spouse walks out on you, to believe that God is here, that God is there, and that God is everywhere. Or when you get the bad news from the doctor. To have the belief in the truth that Jehovah Shema is there, He's here, and He's everywhere. Or when your child makes the bad decision and they come home and they tell you, Mom or Dad, I've been involved with. Or you find out when they don't tell you, for you to still hold on to the fact that God is there, God is here, and God is everywhere. When, when you wonder why you hurt so bad, to have that belief that God is here, that He is there, and that He is everywhere. When you feel like you're hurting yourself and giving up, to believe that God is there, that He is here, and that He is everywhere. When you're tempted to do something wrong, to stop and believe, Jehovah Shema, He's there, He's here, and He's everywhere. When you make a mistake... 
Instead of beating yourself up to say, you know what, he's there, he's here, and he's everywhere, and I'm going to hold on to that grace. When you can't pay your bills, you're wondering how am I going to make it to the end of the month to believe that he's there and he's here and he's everywhere. When you're afraid about the future, when you're unsure about what's going to happen tomorrow, when news stories scare you, when you're not sure about the political landscape of America, when you hear about another bombing or another shooting or something going on in the school system that freaks you out, to stop and believe that he's there and he's here and he's everywhere. Jehovah Shema, he hasn't turned his back on us, church. He's right here with us. Grab onto him today. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, thank you for the promise of Scripture and thank you for this great name of God, Jehovah Shema. The God who is there. Father, we just cry out to you right now. Lord, I just speak on behalf of maybe people in this room that are walking through some trials, some difficulties, some some dark nights of the soul type of experiences where they're discouraged, where they're down. Father, may they grab onto the truth and the hope that, Lord, you're there. You're here. You're everywhere. Father, for those of us who maybe are walking through some good times right now and and it's easy to hold on to that truth, Lord, when the hard times come, Lord, help us to hold on to the truth that you're here, you're there, and you're you're everywhere. Father, when the next thing happens that's a, a thing of discouragement, when the bad news comes, when the difficult situation comes, Lord, help us to hold on to the belief that you're here, you're there, and you're everywhere. Lord, when we're walking through sin and difficulty, things of, of rebellion like people of Israel did, Lord, when they were turning their back on you, Lord, sometimes we do that. Lord, grab our mind and our heart and help us know that you're there, you're here, and you're everywhere, and you have a greater plan and a bigger vision for our lives. Father, I know that you thought about us when you sent Jesus to the cross. You said they need me, they need to be saved, and we say thank you because, Lord, you're there, you're here, and you're everywhere. Father, help us to embrace that truth today and then help us to live in it. I pray in the name of Jesus.